Bible, it's going to be helpful to have it open. Please turn back to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have one, that's not a problem at all. Stick your hand loud and proud and one of our stewards will come and get one to you. We're in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And we're just going to spend really the next few minutes looking at that passage and considering why this event from so long ago might just be the best news ever for us today. But first, we're going to pray and ask God for help. Lord God, give us ears to listen to what you're telling us through your word. Hearts that are receptive to change and eyes to see Jesus for who he's revealed to be. Amen. Right, here's a challenge then. What do all four of these people that are going to come up on the screen have in common? We've got Boris Johnson on the zip line. We've got Princess Fiona at the start of Shrek. We've got me with a sunburned back. And we've got this guy drowning at sea. If you're feeling bold, 10 seconds, turn to the person next to you, what do they have in common? Right, let's bring that back in. Don't worry, I'm not gonna ask you to shout out. Here's what I think the answer is. All of these four people desperately need help, don't they? But it's more than that, don't they? Our four need someone to come and physically fix their situation. Try as I might, I'm never going to be able to reach that spot on my back with the sun cream. Princess Fiona is stuck in the highest room of the tallest tower, guarded by lava and a dragon as she waits for Prince Charming. Boris is stuck and needs a bloke with a stepladder. And this guy is going to die unless someone gets to him. ASAP. Do you see, it's no good giving these people encouraging words, cheering them on from the sideline. From the little to the life-threatening, these people need someone else to come and physically help them out. Well, in our passage this evening, Joseph knows all about the problems. But the solution he receives is not quite what he was expecting. So let's really briefly consider his problem the solution given, and the result. First, the problem. We find ourselves in the book of Matthew. He's one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and he's written one of the four accounts of his life that we have in our Bibles. And straight away, he sets the scene for us in verse number 18. Look down with me. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've ever seen a nativity play, often they're really like cute, cuddly, and wholesome, aren't they? But do you see the very real world and heartbreaking problem that Joseph has? His soon-to-be wife is pregnant, and he knows for certain it's not his. This is actually made worse by their commitment to each other. It's not really anything like our notion of engagement. They're formally bound together, even though they're not yet married, and to separate at this point still requires a divorce. It's a big deal. In the familiarity with the story, don't lose the force of the pain that Joseph must be feeling. It's heartbreak. And Matthew straight away tells us that it's God who's responsible. He says it's by the Holy Spirit Mary has become pregnant miraculously. Now, Matthew's just spent 17 verses explaining the unborn Jesus' 
family tree. And yet here, for the first time, we hear that this baby is also God. It says the Holy Spirit's the one responsible. It's going to be miraculous because God is intervening. And yet Joseph is still in the dark. And his problem must be consuming him. Here's the thing. I don't think we can simply just watch from afar. Joseph bracing for the brokenness of our world and the problems it brings is a reality that's almost as old as time. Nearly 10 years ago, Edinburgh was surveyed on the street and 760 people responded to the question, how would you fix the world? I wonder what you'd say. A variety of answers were given from individual to societal to political. Here's something I don't think is that surprising. Only one person in 760, that's 0.1%, said this. The world doesn't need fixing. I think that's because as we look at the world around us, we know deep in our hearts the truth that the Bible confirms. In fact, it says the hurt and pain and chaos of the world is actually caused by our rejection of God. It calls it our sin. The Bible's crystal clear that the consequence of sin is not just the confusion and chaos of our world, it's that we're cut off from God forever. It's death. And leader after leader, person after person, even as I consider my own wee heart this week, I think shows us that to go fishing for a savior in this gene pool isn't providing much lasting success. In fact, forget fishing. If we're like anyone, really, we were or are like the guy at the start drowning at sea, desperately needing help. And so do you see here, in the most ordinary of scene comes the most extraordinary intervention. Because Joseph's seemingly very human problem is actually part of God providing a solution to our terminal condition. You see, our greatest problem of sin needs one from outside of us to come and fix it. And yet one who will stand physically in our place as one of us. That's why Matthew's gone to great care to stress both his divinity and his human origins are essential. And so whilst we, the reader, begin to get a bit of clarity and our expectation is building as to who this Jesus will be and become, Joseph, poor bloke, has no idea what's going on. What's he going to do? Secondly, then, our solution. Scan your eyes down to verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Joseph decides to divorce her. What else is he going to do? He loves Mary and so decides to do so really quietly and therefore significantly reduce the kind of public shame that she would have faced. Despite her seeming unfaithfulness, he wants to be faithful to God, faithful to her, and his decisions made. God, however, has other plans. An angel appears to Joseph. Now, if that sounds mental to you, I think it's kind of meant to. Because angels appearing in our Bibles are events that show God is often about to reveal something of great importance that's out of the ordinary. The angel, did you notice, gives Joseph two instructions. Marry Mary 
name the child. If I'm in Joseph's shoes, I don't know about you, but I am terrified. Do you see after the kind of roller coaster of emotions he's been on, the relief and assurance he's given here? The angel says not just that he should proceed to marry Mary, but that this was all part of God's plan and that he's going to play a crucial part. It's through his family tree that the long-awaited Savior will come. He's not just to marry Mary, though. He's to name the baby. Babies are sometimes in our culture given names that we hope they will come to embody, aren't they? Kind of like grace, joy, hope. They're hopeful at best. No one ever calls their kid nuisance or terror, although that might be a better fit. Well, here, Jesus is given two names that are absolute game changers. Because they're not speculative signs of who he might be. They're angelic announcements of who he is. First, the babies to be called Jesus, which we're told is because he will save people from their sins. The long-awaited Savior is here, declared before he's even born. He's the one who will save his people. Secondly, he's to be given the name Emmanuel. That means God with us, we read. In fulfillment of words spoken about Jesus hundreds of years before he was born, in Jesus we've got God dwelling with his creation. Do you see how this is the most loving act in history? Such is his love for us, God sent his own son Jesus into a world that was rejecting him. The perfect son of God has come to dwell with his people. As he lives sinlessly, feeling all the emotions that we do as one of us. That minging feeling when you stub your wee pinky toe. The joy and laughter of celebrating with friends. The sorrow and pain of rejection. You see, in Jesus, we don't have like a a far off, distant God. We've got the King of Kings who has come to dwell with us. And as the account of his life unfolds, in this book of Matthew alone, we'll see what it means for Jesus to dwell with us. As he's shown to dwell with the sick to heal them, with the poor in spirit to bless them, with the lepers to cleanse them, with the disease to cure them, with the hungry to feed them, and ultimately with the lost to seek and save them. Because that's what the name Jesus means. He is here to save us as ultimately he takes the place of rebellious people just like me. As he is willingly crucified. Taking the punishment of death that I deserve for my rebellion against God. Do you see how in Jesus the promises of old that God will save mightily and dwell gloriously are coming to their fulfillment. Joseph receives a heavenly solution to his very worldly problem. I can't imagine he can begin to wrap his head around how this Jesus will be the solution that the whole world has been crying out for. Get this, it only gets better. Because Jesus hadn't just made it possible for us to be forgiven. At the end of the same book of Matthew, Jesus promises to be with us until the very end of the age. Why can he do that? Well, our Bibles tell us it's because he's not dead. It's Jesus is risen and reigning over all. And as Christians, the very same Spirit of God that was at work in Mary's tummy now dwells in us. Wrap your head around that. Just in our wee church here alone, 
We've got hundreds of people who can testify to that very truth. Walking, talking examples of how Jesus has changed their life. Because in Jesus, we have full access to God. We've been released from the shame of our sin, given confidence that the curse of death has been broken, provided freedom to flourish in relationship with our God, and guaranteed that we will dwell with him forever in heaven. You see, Jesus can offer all of these things because he offers himself to our all-pervasive problem of sin comes a solution supreme. Lastly then, and most briefly, the result. However, the question remains, doesn't it? What will the result be? In amongst his very real problem, facing rebuke and shame from his community, will Joseph obey? Will he lean the full weight of his life on this truth? Will he trust that this Jesus is who heaven has declared him to be and complete the angel's commands? Or will he walk away? Rely on his own strength and deny heaven's greatest gift? Well, the answer is resoundingly positive. Look with me in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she'd given birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. On the biggest stage of all, Joseph nails his lines. He's obedient. His faithfulness continues. Mary is married and the baby is named. Words foretold or fulfilled as the savior of the world begins to dwell. And just as the earthly work of Jesus begins here, so the question of what we will do with this revelation of truth spans the centuries since. In fact, it's changed the lives of billions upon billions of people. Will we recognize Jesus for who he is? Will we, like Joseph, declare to a watching world, because of who he is, I'm going to obey? Remember our four people right at the beginning? Even when someone helped them, it was only ever a temporary solution, isn't it? I'm Scottish, right? So the second I go back in the sun, that bit on my back is getting burnt immediately. Shrek made another four movies because Fiona and the crew kept getting into trouble. Politicians will keep being silly and the lifeboat crew remain as busy as ever. What if, as the Bible claims, the physical dwelling of Jesus has provided a solution to our greatest problem of sin that lasts forever? And so, will you recognize the problem we have in our rebellion against God? Will you accept the solution that his life, death, and resurrection offers? And will you enjoy the result of his presence for eternity? Perhaps you're sat and you're thinking, Ben, I'm just not sure. Well, don't take my word for it. Can I encourage you to take one of these? It's the book of Mark from the Bible. There's some down at the connect corner and read it. The God who came to dwell with us has revealed himself through his word. So why don't you take it and read it? Even better, read it someone else we'd love to help you do that come down and chat to me at the connect corner we've also got a hope explored course starting in january it's three evenings as we consider who is this jesus you'd be so welcome to come if though you see jesus for whom matthew reveals him to be the savior of the world who's come to dwell with his people then responding is as simple as having good manners 
saying sorry for living with self as king. Saying thank you that Jesus died in your place. And saying please God, rule over my life as I seek to obey you. This year, will you come running like a little child on Christmas morning and receive from God the greatest gift of all? To know personally the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you that your son Jesus came to be the Savior that we desperately need. Help us to see Jesus for who your word reveals him to be and respond in faith and repentance. Amen. The band are going to play a song to us now as we just have a bit of time for reflection. The words will be up, but please just stay in your seats.